The Lord says in Scripture to, to seek me. If you seek me with all your heart and with all your soul, you will find me. So God loves to play that little kid's game of hide and seek. The good news about when you play this game with our father is that he's not very good at it. Similar to the wrestling match with Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our father, if he loses, it's a setup. Because he doesn't lose, ever. Oh, if anybody wants to talk back like Ibi is doing, that's fine too. I like that. It just means that the Spirit of God within me is connecting to the Spirit of God within you. <laughs> so, did Susie just say, well? <laughs> that was an inside joke. There was a guy in our previous congregation that used to go, well? Well? So God plays hide and seek, but he's not very good at it intentionally. He's like my cat who when he doesn't want to be found will like put his head under a blanket not knowing that his butt is sticking way out. And he's got a big butt. He got a oh, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Our father is like, he plays hide and seek and he hides behind the curtain, but the curtain only goes down so far, so his feet are kind of visible. So he says, if you seek me, you will find me. He doesn't say, if you seek me, you won't find me. He doesn't say, if you seek me with your whole heart, you may not find me. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. So if you're seeking the Lord... It might help a little bit to know where he's hiding. It's one of the reasons I feel so passionate about revealing Messiah in the Torah. Because he's hidden in there. From beginning to end, he's in there. So if you're seeking him with your whole heart, you will find him. So if all of you New Testament scholars from all your time in the church start to dust off the Torah and you start to see things which all of a sudden in your head is like, that sounds familiar. It's intentional. So when you read about Abraham, what do you read about Abraham? Well, where's that verse? It's in there somewhere. Oh, when you says about Abraham, when it says, when God says to him, take your son, your 
only son, and you know, wait a minute, last I checked, he didn't have just one son. And it starts to remind you of God who who took his only begotten son. It's intentional. It's Yeshua being revealed in Torah. When you see Rebecca, Rivka, the, 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 the wife of, of Isaac, when she wanted to give the blessing to Jacob, and Jacob's like, oh my gosh, if we, if we do this, if this scheme works, if this Ponzi scheme works, they played a little sting with their brother. And he goes, if, if, if that works, I'm not going to get any blessing. I'm going to get a curse. And Rebecca says, well, you're not going to get a curse. If that happens, let the curse be on me. And if that all of a sudden rings in your New Testament head saying, I read that before because it says in the New Testament that Yeshua took the curse upon himself, it's intentional. It's Yeshua being hidden, concealed in the Torah. If we see the blessing that, that Jacob was given, and it's, we all want the blessing from the Father, but Jacob, in order to get the blessing of the Father, had to put, as was said last week, Susie's always quick to say, when you quote Rabbi Peter, you better tell people that you're quoting Rabbi Peter. Because equal weights and measures. Because oh, don't get people thinking that you're coming up with this stuff if you're quoting Rabbi Peter. And I'm like, I'm not quoting Rabbi Peter, I'm quoting the Spirit of God. It doesn't have to be to a person. It's just, no, you're quoting Rabbi Peter. So I go, okay, fine. So as was said last week, when when Jacob had to put on the the skins of his older brother to get the blessing from the father. See, in, in, in and of himself, he did not receive any blessing. He had to take the skins of his older brother. He had to look like his older brother, smell like his older brother, feel like his older brother, and then the father who wants to give the the blessing to the older brother gives the blessing to the younger because he's concealed in the skins of the older brother. And if that rings in your spirit, it's like, that's what happens with me with Messiah. I put him on. It says, put on Messiah, and the father gives me the blessing. If you see that, it is intentional. Messiah concealed in Torah. And it is my heart to reveal him where he has been hidden. Oh, we see a lot in this place. We learn about the Aleph Tav. The Aleph Tav. The Aleph Tav. Because it says in the book of Revelation, in the Greek translation, which was written by Jews, by the way, all of it. And it says that he's the Alpha and the Omega. So put that back into the Hebrew context. The first letter and the last letter is the Aleph and the Tav. You put them together into a word and you get Et, which is incorporated in Torah and in New Te- Old Testament scripture all over the place. It has no English meaning. It's like his blood sprinkled all throughout the Torah. So when we see in Genesis, when it says in Genesis 1.1, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created, et, Aleph Tav, Hashemayim ve'et it's the heaven and the earth, there he is. And if it rings in your spirit, when John said he was there in the beginning, 
all things were created through him. And you see the creation statement in Genesis 1-1 going right through this Aleph Tav, which has no translation. You go, there he is. In fact, if you ever, I've told Stephanie a thousand times, who's passionate about the revelation of where Aleph Tav et is in the whole Tanakh, the Old Testament, and how it reveals Yeshua. Zechariah, they will look upon me, Aleph Tav, who they have pierced, and mourn for him. He's all over the scripture. I keep telling Stephanie, if you don't write a book about it, I'm going to, and I'm going to put your name on it. Seek me, and you will find me. So where is he? So I'm going to quote Rabbi Peter again. Well, the well's kind of dissipated. That's all right. So we see this picture of Yeshua and the girl. See, art has, has sought to put Jesus into an image and say, this is what he is, this is what he looks like. And that's, it's, it's good. You can, you can look at that and you can, you can, you can have a, a, either a revelation or, or it, could, it could bring you to, to, to a place of, of, of uh, you know, of, of like, wow, you know, that's, that's Jesus and, and that's me he's holding. And how beautiful it is. But I, I tell you, when we limit Yeshua to these images of what, what we think he looked like, we're, we're limiting where he's hiding today. Need I remind you that after resurrection, they didn't recognize him. Need I remind you that he had multiple appearances post-resurrection, and none of them, they re- none of them, they recognized him. Miriam, who was, as I say, anglicized into Mary, didn't recognize him when she saw him. On the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him when they saw him, even though their heart burned within them. When he revealed himself to Thomas, he didn't recognize him. Later on, in another appearance, he was on the water. It says that the, 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 the daylight was breaking. And he was on the water, and they didn't recognize him. And then it says in, in, in John that, 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 that he, he provided food for them from the, from the fish that was caught. And it says from that point on, they no longer questioned if it was him. Because they knew it was him. And I've always thought that there is great revelation in the fact that after Yeshua resurrected, was resurrected, he didn't look the same. He looked like some strange guy that they didn't recognize, but it was him. So where is he hiding? And if we look at this picture, we think we see where Jesus is. And here's where I quote Rabbi Peter. So if you're offended by it, you could blame him. (laughs) See, the twist, the twist is that 
it's not what you see. The twist is that this is a transgender man who's very confused, unloved, doesn't love himself, confused as far as who he is, ostracized from the world, and desperate for love. And this is Jesus. See, this one I get a lot of quiet. All right. Paul said, we no longer recognize each other in the flesh. He said, even Mashiach, we once knew in the flesh, but no longer. So if we limit Yeshua, we miss him where he is now. We miss that he's manifesting himself within his body. And we miss the reality of when he said, the glory given to me, I give to you. And we miss the reality of when he said, if they accept you, they accept me. If they reject you, they reject me. If they listen to you, they listen to me. And we miss what he means when he said, the student can never be above the teacher. But when he's fully trained, he's equal to the teacher. See, he's the head, we're the body. The two are one flesh. And it's not just about trying as a human to be like him. It's letting him come forth through you. People say all the time, oh, this congregation has so much love. This congregation has so much love. Love, 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 love. If you feel that this congregation has love, I'll tell you why it has love. Because we have a mandate. Love one another as I have loved you. And that may sound like a charge to humans to try to get this thing right. Oh, I got to start trying to love like God loves. But I don't see it that way. I see it as just allowing the one that lives inside of you to love. So it's him loving through you. It's not you trying to love as best you can. Because as much as you could try, human love is flawed. So if you want to fulfill the charge from Messiah, love one another as I have loved, just get out of his way. And let him love through you. And I tell you that it's really hard for people 
to recognize him if they don't first see him in here. Oh yeah, you can get you know you can get them while they're down. Oh yeah, you can go you know your life stinks. Believe in Yeshua and everything's gonna be all good. And they may say okay. But I'll tell you this, for 2,000 years, it hasn't worked for my Jewish brothers and sisters. Because if he's not concealed in here, they're not going to look at him as anything else than just a man. And like Paul, my heart aches for my brothers of the flesh. Like Paul, I would consider myself forsaken from Messiah on behalf of my brothers and my sisters. So if they are going to seek and find, they need to find him here before they find him here. How is Yeshua revealed in this Torah portion? And how does this all come together in this Torah portion? In this Torah portion, as Kasi was saying, we have the culmination of the relationship between Jacob and Esau, Yaakov and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau have had a pretty contentious fraternal relationship. They have been wrestling since the womb. They've been duking it out for supremacy in the family since before they were born. But Jacob was always able to trick He's tricksy. He's always able to trick Esau out of something. Got him while he was down. He was hungry. He says, okay, I got some food for you, but you're going to have to sell me your birthright. Esau goes, no problem, dying here of hunger anyway. What's the, what's the, what's the use of the birthright to me if I'm dying? Stole it away from him. Stole away the blessing from the father. Esau wanted to kill him. Esau is ready to just tear him up and be done with this stinking brother of his. Mom says, get the heck out of here. Go back to my homeland, Padam Aram, and just hang out there for a bit. He hangs out there for 20 years, winds up having his big dysfunctional family. Then the Lord says in this Torah portion, it's time to return. It's time to return. It's time to go back to the land of your fathers. And in between where he was and where he needs to go was this little place called Mount Seir, which is the territory of Esau. Because while Jacob was doing his crazy family thing, Esau apparently settled in this area called Mount Seir, and now the place between where Jacob was and where he's going to, he has to cross Esau's territory to get 
to the place of his father's. You see, when God is bringing us into the place of our calling, he's going to have us go through where that giant is, where that obstacle is, where that unfinished business is, where that unfinished conflict is, where that ping in your spirit still is, where that fear still is, and there's no way around it. And if you need to get to that place where God is going to give you a new name and give you your calling, in between there and there is the place of that conflict that must be resolved. He couldn't go around it. They got the Mediterranean Sea over there. It says that Jacob wasn't a good swimmer. No, it doesn't say that. He, he couldn't go that way. He couldn't go around it. He, the, it, it. he had to go through the territory of Esau to get to the new calling, to get to the rename of Israel. Couldn't get there until he goes to the land of his brothers. But of course, I mean, he's been fighting this thing since the beginning. You know, he's, he's very self-reliant. He's figured this whole thing out. He's learned how to get his way through fighting and conniving his whole life. But now all of a sudden he hears that he's got to go through this territory and Esau's coming with 400 men and not only is his life in danger, the calling is in danger. Because it's, you know, if, 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 if Esau just killed Jacob, well, okay then, but at least the lineage is set because he had a calling to be the father of many nations and he already had his lots of kids, so at least that's all set. But now they're all together coming out and Esau's got many more men than they do. So it's not just his own death, it's the death of the fulfillment of his calling. What his whole life is all about to be the father of many nations, to be the father of, of the tribe, the Jewish people, and ultimately all the nations, it's... it's it's all in jeopardy right now. It's all in jeopardy. And Jacob couldn't avoid it. He couldn't go around the mountain when he comes. <laughs> he had to deal with this thing. He's got to deal with the enemy before he can reach the blessing and the rename. He's got to deal with it. So he tries to deal with it as, as best he knows how, with, 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 with strategy, with, with whatever it is. He, he separates the camps. He sends these people forward and these people and gifts and all these types of things. And then all of a sudden he, he sends his family at, across the river and, and he's alone. And it says that he is very afraid and distressed. Jacob's distress. The book of Jeremiah speaks about the day of Jacob's distress. Jacob's trouble. It's about like a tribulation time. It says how, how terrible is this day, the day of Jacob's distress. J day of Jacob's trouble, but Jacob will be delivered from it, it says. It's the same Hebrew word when it says this is the day of Jacob's troubles in Jeremiah. When Jacob here in, in, in this story, in the Torah, and it says that Jacob was distressed. It's the same Hebrew word, tsar. So if you want to find out what the day of Jacob's trouble in the future really is all about, you can take a look at this portion and see when he was really troubled and see an equation and see a reality of what is, what is going to happen. Because in this Torah portion, he found God. But like this picture, 
it wasn't where we may think it would be. So he's finally alone, and he's wrestling with the angel, and we know he's wrestling with, with God. He's, he's wrestling with God. And, and he goes through the wrestling match, and then daybreak came, and, 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 and just like Cassius said, the, God, you know, the angel says, I, I gotta go, the day is breaking. And he says, I'm not leaving until you bless me. And he says, your name is Israel because you, 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 you fought with God, you fought with men, and you prevailed. And then he leaves, and Jacob goes, oh my gosh. I'm gonna call this place Peniel. Penei means face, El, God, because I've seen God face to face. I've seen God face to face. I've seen God face to face. There he is with the long hair and the beard. I've seen God face to face. I know what God looks like. He's got the beard. He's got the long hair. He's got the white skin. He wears white robes. I know what God looks like. I've seen God face to face. But how does this equate to the day of Jacob's troubles? Jacob lost everything. Everything. And finally, see, he started wrestling even in the womb. Now he's finally wrestling with the right person. That's good. That's good. That's good. But nothing in his strategy could have prepared him for what happened. The one who the last he heard of, Esau, his brother, who wanted to kill him, wanted him dead. It was finally time to meet him. And instead of Esau showing him anger, instead of Esau starting a war with him, the one who hated Jacob, the one who Jacob was scared of, showed him kindness and mercy. And this enemy of Jacob, all of a sudden, cried on his shoulder and wept on his shoulder. Now, Jacob didn't plan that in all his strategies. Now, he just gone through the wrestling match where he said, I saw the face of God and lived. And we think we know what that means. There's the face of God. Glory, hallelujah. But if you seek him, you will find him. And he said to Esau, seeing your face, is seeing the face of God. So how does this fit into the day of Jacob's trouble? There's a day when Israel today is going to be abandoned, all alone, completely isolated and terrified. And there's going to be a people group who's going to show them kindness, the people group that they think hate them and is going to show them kindness. And Israel will say, seeing you is seeing the face of God. When they see him in you, they will see him.
See, you think you come to these messianic synagogues. I, I don't even know why you come. I don't know why you're here. You all have your crazy, stupid reasons for being here. But I tell you, it's another setup. It's a setup. It's a setup. Because Yeshua is being revealed from where he's been hidden. In you. And it's not for you that you are here. It's for Israel. It's for them. Oh, do I need to go through the reality of the book of Ruth? I'm going to go through it. Do we know the book of Ruth? Okay. Here's a little quiz for you then. Who does it start with? All right. We're going to go into this. We're going to dig into the, into the Hebrew. Who does it start with? The book of Ruth. Naomi? And she was married to? Naomi was married to Elimelech. Beginning of the story. Elimelech means what? My God is king. Naomi. In the Hebrew, Naomi is Ami. Ami means my people. God married to his people. Elimelech married to Naami. God, my God, king, married to Ami, my people. They have children. Machlon and Chilion. You know what those mean? Sick and wasting away. Nice names for your kids. All you parents that were parents of the kids here, your kids' names are much better. <laughs> Elimelech dies. Now, God does not die, but it shows a separation between his people, Israel, the Jewish people, and God. Their kids, Machlon and Chilion, marry Goyim, Gentiles. People from Moab, women from Moab, not allowed to do that. And they die. This is a faithful picture of Israel. This has been the state of the Jewish people since the temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago. There's been a separation. So in this story, we have two women the daughters-in-law of Naami, my people. The daughters-in-law. Gentiles. There's two women. Ruth and Orpah. One of them turns away from broken Naomi, Naami. One turns away and just goes back to her own ways. But Ruth, it says, clung to Naomi. Naomi, my people, who renamed herself bitterness because she was so bitter. And she went, no, 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 no. And Naomi went, no, 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 I'm not interested, not interested. And she said, no, I'm not going anywhere. 
And then Naomi went, no, no, just go back to your people. Go back to your people. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Here comes the Jewish guilt. I'm fine. It's okay. Leave me alone. I'm just going to go here and wallow in my misery. It's okay. And then, but she wouldn't take the bait. Ruth clung to her and said, I'm not going anywhere. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people, Israel, are my people. Your God, my God. And let anything but death, if anything, may I be cursed from God, if anything but death separates me from you. Where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I will be buried. Two Gentiles, one goes back to her ways, the other clung to broken Naomi, my people, Israel, and refused to let go. These are two types of Gentiles, I believe, in the church. There are the Gentiles who just, okay, I'm done with this. No interest. And then there's the ones that say, oh no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Where you go, I go. Your people are my people. In comes Boaz. 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 Now you're looking into the sickness in our whole our house. Our kitten, our cat is named Boaz. In comes Boaz. He is called what? The kinsman redeemer of the family. Of Elimelech. Of the family of Elimelech. Enters into relationship with Ruth. The Gentile who clung to Israel. She is allowed to glean from his field. And she takes what she gleaned from Boaz. And she gives it to broken Naomi, Israel. And Israel, Naomi, says, where did you get that? Where did you get this blessing? See, grain always represents Torah. So you're not here to just learn it. You're here to give it, the blessing, to Israel. And Naomi went to Ruth and said, where did you get this? Where did you get it? And she goes, I got it from this guy, Boaz. And Naomi, the light bulb went off. That's our redeemer. That's, he's ours. That's our redeemer. She goes and tells her friends. The Yenta goes and tells her friends. All of her friends go, that's the Redeemer. That's the kinsman Redeemer. Boaz and Ruth are married. And the child is nursed by Naomi. And Naomi, Israel, 
my people, Naomi, my people, who renamed herself bitterness, is now restored. Through, not giving her tracks, not showing her this guy, but by clinging to her. Bless the Lord. All right. All right. Just bringing it back home. Bringing it back home. Bringing it back home. Jacob, when he was called to go to the land of his fathers, when he was called to get the blessing, when he was called for the rename, the fulfillment of the calling, he had to go through the territory of the one who he had unfinished business with. God in his faithfulness said, you're not going to get there until you deal with this. And that's how he is with us until we get to the next phase of our call. You know what happened once he got to the end? For those who've been here for the past couple of weeks, he built an altar. God will have you go through that mountain. You have to climb it. You have to reconcile that fear, that hurt, that wound before you get to the next phase. And when they got together, it's not like they had to walk together. Esau was like, come walk with me, we'll go together. And Jacob was like, no, 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 it's okay. You go ahead, I'm fine. But the wound was healed. Jacob was healed. And he was able to go to the next phase of his calling. Because he saw the face of God in his enemy. There is an enemy that you feel that God wants you to reconcile with. Seeing them as the face of God. You are the enemy of somebody. Somebody views you as an enemy. And that person, when they see you, will say, seeing your face is seeing the face of God. So who is that? And who can you be Yeshua too? He is revealed in this Torah portion in our enemies. And that's an amazing thing. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah.